Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Eric. I'm just so grateful uh, to be with you today, and uh, I'm even more grateful to not be quarantined uh, right now. Uh, I know that many of us are, and uh, so there's a good chance that uh, many of you that would like to be here in person are watching or listening to this uh, online. Uh, if you are, we want to welcome you too, but so grateful for those that are in the room today. Um, we have a lot of people affected by uh, the quarantine happening in Victor at the intermediate school and the elementary school. Uh, and so... Um, glad that you made it out. I'm going to talk through some info for those of us that are here today, but if you are online, a few of these things might not apply, uh, but the things that I'll mention can also happen through our website, many of them at least. Uh, number one, we would love for you to share your information uh, with us. Uh, if you want to be updated um, or you want your info updated, uh, in our system to, to be added to our email list, there are some really, really exciting things going on in the life of our church. This is an incredible season, and we love, uh, as we lead up to Thanksgiving and One Day to Feed the World and Advent, uh, there's so many things happening, and so uh, we'd love to get your information so you're not missing out on that. If you are a guest today with us for the very first time, a very special welcome uh, to you. Uh, we would love for you to share your information as well, just so that we can follow up with you and get feedback uh, on how you thought the uh, gathering was, anything that we can do better. There are two ways to share that info. Uh, number one is an info card that you can find in the back of the room. Um, also, uh, you can fill out your inf information electronically uh, on the YouVersion app. The instructions for that app are up on the screen right behind me. Uh, the cool thing about the app is that it's also useful uh, during our gathering for things like following along uh, with the uh, scripture, taking notes on the, uh, the text, and even giving online. Speaking of giving, you can also give through our website or via the offering box in the back if you'd like to give in that way. Now, we're not going to pass a plate around uh, today, so if you want to give physically, you can just head on back at the end of the, our time to today. Uh, there are other ways for us to connect uh, together uh, throughout the week, not just uh, on a Sunday gathering. Um, but there are wallpapers uh, for your phone or for your tablet, social medias that you can connect with, our Spotify playlist, our Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals, uh, and even more. So you can visit our website, centerwaychurch.com, to access all of these resources and more. Uh, I alluded to it before, but if you have questions, if you have feedback, if you have ideas or you need prayer, you can connect with us at any time uh, using our email, connect at centerwaychurch.com. And one of the things that we are super passionate about here at Centerway uh, is taking next steps. We believe that no matter how uh, far you are on your journey with Christ, there's always another step to be taken. And so uh, if you're looking for ways to grow, if you're looking for ways to serve, uh, to be spiritually coached, get water baptized, become a Centerway steward, um, you can check out the Next Steps booth directly in the, uh, uh, in the foyer. Sure, we'll call it a foyer. Uh, after the service, or there's also on our website, there's a Next Steps uh, tab to click as well. So right now we're going to switch gears just quickly and take a look at this video in regard to what's happening at our church. My parents were farmers like me. From the time I was born, I watched my parents farming, and now I'm doing what they did. It's like an inheritance from them. I have eight kids and nine grandkids. I could only afford to send some of my kids to school, while some of them had to stay home. Sometimes my children didn't have enough to eat. It made me very sad, but I couldn't do anything about it. So I prayed, and God sent people my way to help. Convoy of Hope's agronomists provided training on how to plant our seed. With the first harvest of convoy's seeds, I harvested a greater yield than ever before. With the seed and training convoy gave me, I am able to get more money for my crops. The program has made a big difference in my life. I used to struggle to feed my family. Now, 
I can feed my children more and they are healthier. Some of my children have already started farming with me. I am happy because I can pass down the techniques I have learned from Convoy of Hope to them. That's so cool. So next Sunday, uh, the 21st, we will celebrate our one day to feed the world offering. We've been doing this since our inception. Uh, we partner with Convoy of Hope, and uh, not just next week, but throughout the entire year. And the particular challenge uh, for one day to feed the world is that your one day changes there every day. Uh, so what we believe is that uh, we're going to challenge you, Convoy of Hope is challenging you, uh, to come next week prepared to give one day wage uh, from what you earn. Uh, kids are challenged to do this as well. They obviously don't have jobs necessarily, but uh, I'm always blown away every year by the generosity of our, of our kids, of our students, uh, those that don't necessarily have the means uh, to do so, but they find a way to give what they can. That's just incredible. And so uh, next week, we're going to be uh, excited uh, to give to that as well. Now, here's what to expect for the rest of our gathering today. Spencer is going to be reading scripture for us. Claude will be communicating from the Bible. Uh, it's the last week in our series within walking distance. I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, then we'll respond to the word uh, through song. Before we uh, shift gears, can we bow our heads and our hearts and just pray for God's uh, a blessing and anointing on this time? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we don't want to take another step in this gathering without your uh, anointing, without your blessing, without your presence in this place. Father, we know that you've been tugging on heartstrings all day long, and we just thank you, Father God, that you're going to continue an incredible work here, Lord. Father, I pray that as we... Um, hear from your word today, Lord God, that it would not be business as usual. Father, we give you uh, permission to, to kind of wreck our lives for your glory today, Lord God. Father, whatever you want to speak to us, whether it be a challenging word, a comforting word, whatever it may be, uh, we are ready and willing, Lord. Give us uh, ears to hear and a heart to receive what you want to say to us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, my name is Spencer, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 20. You can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app on the screen behind me, or in one of the scripture journals located in the back of the room. Again, Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 20. It says, Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Thank you, Spencer. Today's Spencer's birthday. Huh? Yeah, happy birthday, Spencer. If I was really obnoxious, I'd make us sing or do something absurd. I'm just short of that type of obnoxious. Um, I am uh, excited to be able to be with you uh, today and uh, continue in our series entitled Within Walking Distance and actually, as Eric already mentioned, conclude it today. But on top of that, we actually conclude uh, our journey through the Gospel of Mark. So if you've been with us uh, through the entire time, um, we just walked through the Gospel and it's been uh, a pretty great journey. And uh, if you'd like, you can obviously check those out um, online at any point at your leisure. But 
today's uh, message is entitled Opportunity. So opportunity is within uh, walking distance. And uh, as Eric has already mentioned, there are so many of our families that are quarantined uh, that aren't here today and we're missing you. But uh, just so everybody knows, because we're talking about that, uh, everyone is healthy. So there's, there's no um, concern over their health. They're just being quarantined because classrooms are being quarantined and teams are being quarantined. So uh, I thought I should let you know that in case you're kind of looking around like, oh no, um, everybody's healthy, thank God. So, um, as we jump in and conclude this passage, if you were with us last week, you heard me mention what is in parentheses or notated, depending on the type of, um, of uh, translation that you use. But if you're with us in the journal, you'll see that there's parentheses around verses 9 through 20. And so today's text lands right in those parentheses, 14 through 20. And so what that basically means, and you'll see the notation in our study guide, it says uh, some of the earliest manuscripts do not include verses 9 through 20. So there are some questions as to whether or not verses 9 through 20 were added uh, afterwards. Um, However, there are some uh, scholars that believe that it is not Markan text, that it was added afterwards or something uh, to that degree that verse eight is kind of the abrupt way that Mark kind of ends the gospel. However, there are old manuscripts specifically, if you want to geek out a little bit, uh, manuscripts A, um, C, and D all contain verses nine through 20. And so we also have um, some history of early church fathers actually referencing or familiar with these verses. Um, But more importantly than even that, um, there's the reality that when uh, text like this is uh, up for question, and you've seen in other parts of Mark where verses are missing because they weren't in any text, uh, early texts, they actually check to see if what's called uh, harmony. So is there a harmony of the gospels? Does this, do these verses make sense when you consider the harmonization of the other gospels? So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John being four gospels. So do they harmonize? And uh, beyond that, the book of Acts also supports some of what's in this text. So I'm only saying that because we're literally talking uh, this entire time immersed in that text. So it's important for us to kind of understand the validity and importance of of it as we consider uh, what it is that the Lord might be speaking to us today. So a little bit of a, a commercial there, but just want to explain things as we move forward so there's no question or confusion if you weren't here last week. Um, I, uh, I went to uh, college undergrad specifically in... Um, just outside of Philadelphia. And when I was outside of Philadelphia, um, there, were, there were just some idiosyncrasies and hilarious stories that took place with my roommates. Um, just I first lived on a, a floor um, where I had my own kind of room space, but it was an entire floor that we functioned with. And then later on, I was asked to join a... Um, an apartment. And so I was in a room with a group of guys uh, in an apartment on a larger level. And so there's just all these different examples and situations where we had experiences um, that are kind of funny. But there was one in particular that really completely caught me off guard, if I'm honest. And it was uh, one of the roommates in our apartment uh, woke up one day and he goes, hey, it's my birthday week. And it's kind of funny because I just mentioned that it was Spencer's birthday, but he goes, it's my birthday week. And we're like, Okay, like the week in which your birthday falls? And he goes, yeah, but I mean, like it's the beginning of the week. It's like, I'm not tracking with you, man. He's like, well, my birthday's on Friday. He's like, but today it's Monday. It's the beginning of my birthday week. It's like, yeah, congrats on that. I don't know really where to go with that. And he's like, well, this year my parents have decided that we're gonna celebrate my birthday every day of the week. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Are you five? I don't understand what is happening. You're in college. You don't live with your parents. He goes, no, I'm just saying like, you know, they're going to send me packages every day. They're going to call me. And like, if you guys wanted to, we could just celebrate my birthday every day this week. I was like, duly noted. Uh, just so you know, you probably shouldn't tell the other guys in the apartment what you just told me because they might not be as kind as I am. I'm just going to laugh to your face. They might actually uh, strike you. But um, the, uh, the, the point of that is that the more we started talking to this guy, which he did tell every one of us, and we were just blown away at his enthusiasm over his own celebratory week, is that his parents decided that they would celebrate all of their kids' birthdays in different ways. So he began to tell us that there was one year that he woke up and they were going to celebrate his birthday month. I was like, what? 
He's like, yeah. So like it was the first day of the month and they're like, we want to let you know we're celebrating every day of this month because you were born. Now, listen, teenagers, listen carefully. You could totally try to manipulate your parents into doing this. Lots of luck. But they, they celebrated literally every day of that entire month. He said, one, one year, my birthday landed on a Tuesday. And so that whole month, every Tuesday was a celebration leading up to the last Tuesday of the month, which was my birthday. Like, where did you grow up? Like, what are you talking about? And so what was interesting about it is he just started to talk about how there was just this anticipation and excitement around every day that was a celebration day. Now, I never experienced anything close to that, full transparency. I was completely confused by it. But the question I want to ask as we move into the text today is this, what does celebration look like in your life? What does celebration look like in your life? Now, people are so incredibly different. And of course, we are a very diverse group of people, whether we're in the room or online. Um, but it's really interesting how many, uh, how different, sorry, people can be even in the same family. Like I'm, I'm, I have two sisters, one older, one younger. We are very different in some ways. And, uh, and so when I think about this idea of celebration, it's one of those areas where our differences become obvious person to person. Now, there are some of you that are in this room today that are like screamers and jumpers. Like if there's something to celebrate, you're like, ah! And if you ever meet another screamer and jumper, you like hold hands and you both jump in circles. I've witnessed it. I'm not one of those people. Um, <laughs> I, I laugh pretty hard when I see it. It's really outside my comfort zone. If Tara were in here, she's definitely a screamer. She's in with the kids right where she should be screaming and jumping around. But the, uh, do we have any screamers in here? No, you would have already made noise because that's the thing. If, if you were in here, you'd be like, yay! So anyway, there are other people that are kind of like silent celebrators. If you've looked on Instagram or watched any stories or, or different things on Facebook where there's these, um, uh, uh, the reason I'm thinking about it is because we're getting closer and closer to uh, Super Bowl. And when you get closer to Super Bowl, you see people kind of posting these stories of people celebrating. And there was one that was last year. I actually knew some of the people in the video and all these people are screaming and they're jumping around. They can't believe it. Their team just scored like they're going to win. And they zoom in on this one guy who's sitting in the chair like this. And he's just, it's totally stoic. And there's just a tear running down his face. <laughs> he's like, some people just celebrate with like complete silence and just tears running down their face. Like, I'm ecstatic. I'm like, okay. There's also people that celebrate through, you know, smiling, laughter. They just can't believe that something exciting happened. Um, there are touchers. That's what I call them. I'm not a toucher. Um, the, uh, the touchers are people that look, it seems like for any reason to make physical contact with complete strangers. That's again, way outside my comfort zone, but they just like hug strangers. Have you ever, if you've ever been near one, you know it, if you've ever been to a game or something like that, like I was literally fighting for armrest space at a pirates game. This guy was like sitting essentially on my right leg and, and he's like leaning against me. I'm like, oh my gosh, he seemed annoyed by me. I was annoyed by him. And, uh, all of a sudden home run, dude turns around and just grabs me. I'm like, I don't know you. He's like hugging me. I'm like, what is happening? Turns around, he's like high-fiving people. Those are touchers. They're just, they're just so excited that they just grab a hold of somebody else, push each other. You ever seen that? A friend run up and be like, dude, boom, like shove them. Like, why? Why are you striking me? Because you're happy? This makes no sense. Then there are other people that are situational. You could be any one of those at any given time based on the circumstances or situation. In either case, I'm saying all that because the, the point is we're different. You get it, right? We're different. And that's okay. When it comes to celebration, it's okay to be different. Regardless of what celebration looks like in your life, we as humans all actually have a couple of things in common. The first is we all celebrate. We all celebrate, every single one of us. It looks different, like I already mentioned, but there is no exception. No one is, accepted, is exempt from the idea of celebration. It's a response to something. Our response, like I said, looks different, but we all respond. Secondly, what we celebrate reveals our heart and priorities, right? What it is that we celebrate reveal our heart and priorities. Like if you are a Satan worshiper, you might celebrate when the bills win. Just saying. <laughs> It's a possibility. It's possible. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking around. Please don't hurt me. Um, in either case, the, uh, yeah, if you're a Dolphins fan, you never celebrate. So um, just being completely transparent, I'm a Dolphins fan in case you wonder. So 
I'm like the harmless little dog that everybody looks at and sometimes kicks. Um, we, uh, what it is that we actually celebrate reveals our heart and our priorities, what it is that matters to us. And, and us being revealed is, is true not only for the good things that we celebrate, like, oh yeah, that resonates, like I am a fan of that or I do believe in that, but it also reveals even the bad parts, the things that we kind of wish we weren't celebrating, or at least it wasn't obvious. Maybe you celebrate a good grade after a lot of hard work, and so it's kind of revealing this idea that, man, I worked hard for that. I'm, I'm proud of that grade. But some of us also celebrate when someone else experiences some form of misfortune. You know, the person that we don't get along with kind of gets what's coming to them, and there's like this celebratory feeling inside of us. It reveals us. Celebration reveals us, good, bad, indifferent. But a celebration is a moment. It's a moment. Unless it's every day. Unless it's like my friend in college who determines, listen, I'm gonna celebrate every day of this week. I'm gonna celebrate the the first Tuesday or the second Tuesday or every Tuesday or whatever it was. Like, unless we decide for celebration to be more often, it's really truly a moment that comes and goes. So what we see in today's text is the disciples' response to the fact that Jesus is in fact resurrected, that he's resurrected. And I wanna actually start at the end today and then walk through from the beginning together. So I'm gonna begin with verse 20. Verse 20 says this, and they, meaning the disciples, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So their response, what we see at the end in verse 20, their response to the good news of Jesus being alive was to preach, to live on mission. You see, we can celebrate the good news of the gospel in a moment. And some of us that have crossed that line of salvation in the room today or listening or watching, you you might have celebrated the reality of what the good news of the gospel does in and through your life. But when we fully grasp the truth and the implications of the gospel, it compels us to live on mission. When it's something we grasp at the core of who we are, it compels us to live on mission, to live a life of response. Think about that. Living a life of response. A gospel-centered life is a life lived in celebration lived in celebration, what would that look like? How different would your life look if you chose every morning to allow the truth of the gospel to transform how you approach the day? That the minute your feet touch the floor, you say, Lord, today would you break my heart for what breaks yours? Today I choose to celebrate the reality of who you are and what that means in and through my life. A gospel-centered life is a life lived in celebration. Now let's unpack this full section of text or this full pericope. In verse 14, at the beginning, it says this, afterward, he appeared, meaning Jesus, he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them from their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. Now, this sounds kind of harsh. It sounds kind of harsh, like maybe Jesus is walking in and the 11 are hanging there and he's like, are you guys kidding me? I just rose from the dead. You're sitting here eating a sandwich? Like, what's going on? It sounds harsh unless you're considering the time frame within the, the harmony of the Gospels, as I mentioned earlier. This exchange is actually better clarified and supported by Luke. Jesus uh, appears to the disciples, the 11, for the first time in the book of Luke. And Luke 24, verses 38 through 39, records the same exchange. It says, and he said to them, meaning Jesus, and he said to them, why are you troubled? He's rebuking them in the sense of, listen, your priorities are off base here. Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus is going to them and saying, listen, if you understood what took place, you wouldn't just be sitting here. You would be doing something about what it is that's taken place. They were struggling with the believability of the resurrection. I touched on that a lot last week. But you can kind of picture what's happening here. If you look at the other gospels, they're kind of sitting around and they're sharing stories of what they've heard. 
Jesus appeared to this person. Did you hear Jesus appeared to them? Is it possible? Could it be? And they're kind of sitting around. It's almost too good to be true. They weren't celebrating. They were questioning. They were questioning. But then they see Jesus. They're blown away. And they're celebrating. I I don't know what that looked like. I don't know if there were touchers or screamers or yellers or laughers or just people crying, if there were tears shed. It doesn't really say, but I know that in that moment, there was a level of celebration and Jesus' response to their celebration is to call them to action, to call them to action. Verse 15 records this, it says, and he said to them, meaning Jesus, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now, That seems kind of forthright and rather matter of fact. But there's something profound happening if you look in the original text, if you parse this verse. Go in this verse in the original text is not a command. It's not a command. He's not saying, go now and preach the gospel. No. It's actually in the original Greek, go is a participle. And what that means is, as you are going. So Jesus is saying to them, as you are going, then what? What's the command here? The command is proclaim. That's the command. That's in the imperative tense in the original text. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, as you're going, I'm commanding you to proclaim, to proclaim. Now, this resonates and connects if you've been a part of Centerway for any amount of time. You've heard us talk about Matthew and the Great Commission there where in a very similar way, Jesus is talking about going and making disciples. And the go, again, which I had grown up a majority of my life thinking like, go, that's the command, we're to go into all the earth. But again, in the same way, the original Greek, that that go is a participle pointing to an imperative, which is a command. And the command is make. Make what? Disciples. So Jesus is telling them, listen, you're gonna go. As you're going, the command I have for you is to make disciples. So the question that might very well be asked as you stand before your maker, before at the very end of all of eternity is what did you do with the one thing I asked? Did you make disciples? Oh, but I mean, but did you, I had a really nice stuff. I mean, did you see some of the stuff? I, no, no, but what did you do about what I said, what I commanded? Did you make disciples? Did you make disciples? What did you do with your one and only life? The reason I knit you together in your mother's womb. The reason I breathed into you. I gave you gifts and talents and abilities. I I, I gave you all that you had. What did you do with it? Man, I hate that. I hate it. It's convicting, right? Because we get wrapped up in this world and the cares and the worries of the world and we get so off target with what it is that the command is. And I want to tell you, part of discipleship is proclamation. That's part of discipleship. You, You can't walk alongside somebody as they follow Christ unless the truth of the gospel has been proclaimed to them that that in some way Jesus has awoken their heart with the reality of the truth of the gospel. So Jesus is saying, proclaim as you're going, preach the gospel. Are you living your life through the lens of proclamation? Think about that. Are you living your life through the lens of proclamation? Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. We proclaim things, right? We proclaim things. We're loud and even unapologetic about some things. Uh, Things that have zero eternal value. We'll like shout it from the mountaintops, our opinions. And especially in this season, we'll even go to social media. We'll proclaim things for sure. But it has zero eternal value. It's not if we proclaim, it's what will we proclaim. We're gonna proclaim stuff. What are you proclaiming? What is the proclamation? What is the hill you're dying on? Are you living your life, your one and only life, proclaiming eternal things? Is the hill you're dying on an eternal one? Are you loving before you're judging? Are you quick to forgive and slow to speak? Do you listen 
Do you forgive because you were forgiven? Do you love because you're loved? You see, it doesn't come from an effort or something that we conjure up, but because we've had a true, real encounter with the reality of the truth of the gospel and it's awoke in our hearts and because we're forgiven of much, now we can forgive. If you can't forgive, it's because you don't believe God has forgiven you or you think for some reason delusionally you're above the forgiveness of God. My goodness. And I'm not speaking to a group of people with condemnation. I'm telling you, I'm part of that journey. I know what it's like to hold on to something white-knuckled and be like, I don't know that they deserve forgiveness. And yet, here I am, a wretched sinner that God has forgiven so much. There's an Austrian Nazi defector named Richard Wadani. I don't know if I mispronounced that. He's rather famous because he was the first Austrian to defect during World War II. In fact, he just passed away in 2020 at the age of 97. In the beginning of the war when he defected, he was obviously um, in really bad light in in Austria. And ultimately, um, he's revered as a hero. And they proclaim some of his story and his journey. And he actually talks about, if you look him up at all, you'll see that he was um, happily engaged as a Nazi until part of his patrol required him to go to some concentration camps. And he began to see some of what was happening. And then he records how he had a conversation with his mother and said, now that I've seen what I've seen, I realize that I'm putting my life on the line for the wrong side. Can you imagine You're fighting for the wrong thing. You're laying down your life for the wrong side. It's like it clicks and he couldn't believe it. His mother actually shipped him white cloth so he could use it in order to surrender. Something had happened within him where he realized, I just, I can't fight for the wrong side. It's tragic. But I want to tell you this. Some of us in this room are fighting for the wrong side. Not the wrong side of politics, not for the wrong side that society tells you. No, 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 no. Bigger than that. You're fighting for temporal things. It's the wrong losing side. You're laying down your one and only life to fight a temporal battle. And God is trying to get you to pull your eyes up and say, but the battle's eternal. Would you proclaim the truth of the gospel with the passion in which you proclaim your opinion? Would we be people that live on mission because God's woke in our heart? We've woken our heart and we say, listen, I can't live my one and only life fighting for the temporal. We're on the losing side. It's a sobering concept. It's a sobering concept. Because of course the temporal impacts the eternal. So then that's where it comes in. Are you making disciples? Are you proclaiming the truth of the gospel with the narrative that is your life? What are you living for? What are you living for? It seems kind of heavy, right? I hope it seems kind of heavy. I hope it messes you up a little bit. I hope there's a little bit of conviction there. Because if you're sitting there like, "Mm, this is good for somebody else, then you're missing it entirely. It should wreck every single one of us because it's the journey that the disciples were on the entire way through Mark and now it's culminating to this moment. In verse 16, Jesus goes on and says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, this is not a command to be baptized for the purpose, for the sole purpose of salvation. Otherwise it would say, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever is not baptized will not be saved and will be condemned, right? So what does it mean if it's not a command? There's no imperative there. What it is, is it's saying every person that has had a true encounter with God must go public with their faith. If you have had an authentic encounter, then the evidence of that is the proclamation of the gospel. You see, in their culture, water baptism was a very public proclamation. They lived in very small communities that were tight-knit. There were bodies of water that were right near where they lived. It was their source of drink. It was where they washed and cleaned things. And so to go there and to proclaim your faith in Christ and to be water baptized, everyone knew about it by sundown. Did you hear? Yeah, he's part of, within the text, the way, which was the first movement of people that followed Jesus. It was called the way. And so people were saying, listen, he's part of the way. How do you know? He got water baptized. What? 
So it was a public proclamation. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying it will be evidenced by your willingness to proclaim the truth that you've encountered. And we live in a society that's like, listen, just you know, kind of keep it to yourself. But what is your next step of proclamation? Is it time for you to go public with the private decision you've made and to become water baptized? We have water baptisms. We have opportunity for you to proclaim publicly what Jesus has done internally. You can go to our Next Steps page or have a conversation with Eric at the Next Steps area at the end. What is your next step in the area of proclamation? We'll get to that as we move on. Verses 17 through 18 says this, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Now these verses are tragically taken out of context. If it wasn't so tragic, it would almost be humorous. These verses in context mean that God will empower and protect you and I to accomplish what he's called you to. That's the purpose. If you consider it in context in the journey we're on. Listen, I don't think I need to say this, but let me say it. Don't handle snakes. Don't handle poisonous snakes. Don't drink poison. Don't do that stuff because you'll die. All right. These verses are not commands. Again, no imperative here. They're not commands or directives, but rather a record of things that Jesus had said prophetically, and then it took place. And the book of Acts records and corroborates every single one of these things. The apostles cast out demons in Acts. They speak in tongues. Paul, when he's on uh, Malta, is actually bit by a poisonous snake and isn't harmed. And there are recorded healings. All of these things take place, and they're listed as a testimony of God empowering and protecting. Why? So people be like, whoa, that's awesome. No. If you look at them in context, every single place in Acts, it's so the gospel will be proclaimed every time. In fact, even the life of Jesus, if you've been with us through the journey of Mark, every single time, the disciples are like, do more miraculous works. Heal people. This is amazing. Look how big the line is getting. And Jesus is saying, I'm doing this so that they'll hear the truth that I'm proclaiming. I'm not, I'm not healing them to wow them. That's not the end goal. It's to get their attention so that I can communicate the truth of the gospel because that's the problem I'm here to solve because 100% of us at the moment we were born began to die. Tragic, morbid, whatever you want. The fact is we're all gonna die. Here's something else. Lazarus, raised from the dead. Dude died, right? He died, Like, we don't see biblical Lazarus walking around. So what does that mean? Jesus could only resurrect him once? No, it means there was a purpose for it. It it served a purpose. He rose Lazarus from the dead so that he could proclaim the truth of the gospel to people, so that Lazarus' life could be a legacy of one transformed. It's pointing to the truth of the gospel. I wonder how many people didn't get it. Stood outside of Lazarus' grave. It was like, Lazarus, come forth. That's what he said, right? Yeah, just like that. I don't know. Let's come back tomorrow and try it again, right? No, if we get so wrapped up in our physical body, then we'll, we'll forget the reality that we live and walk and breathe to live on mission, that there's something eternal, that we are created to glorify God, to live life to the fullest and to point to things that are eternal. Are you living to proclaim the gospel? Get this. The opportunity is within walking distance. That's it. The opportunity to proclaim the gospel is within walking distance. It's in your sphere of influence, as we talk about here at Centerway. It's the friends in your sphere of influence. It's the friends you have on your team. It's your coworkers. It's your family. It's the people that will sit around a Thanksgiving dinner. That is your opportunity to proclaim the gospel. We say every week that the text requires something of us because it's so easy to sit here and be like, "Mm, amen, it's a good one. What are you gonna do with it? How do we put handles on this so it's not just a word to hear but something that transforms the way we live our life? The application is this. The question I want you to ask is how will I proclaim the gospel this week? I want you to leave this place thinking, how will I proclaim the gospel this week? To maybe sit with your kids if, if you have children that are in the children's area. How will you proclaim the gospel this week? What does it look like if you've had an encounter with God to proclaim the gospel this week? 
I want you to, to bow your heads and just to put them down because the, the worship team is gonna make their way up so we can respond in worship, but I don't want you to be distracted. So if you want, you can close your eyes. If I close my eyes, I've said this before, I'll, I'll start thinking about what I need to do or whatever. So if you need to keep your eyes open and just look at the ground, then do that. But the point is this, I want you to focus on what it is that the spirit might be speaking to you right now. How will I proclaim the gospel this week? Maybe for some of you, it's declaring him the leader of your one and only life. You've lived your life for yourself for so long that you've been proclaiming things that are lesser things. They're important, but they're lesser, right? There's good things that shouldn't be ultimate things. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't speak up for wrong things. I'm saying that when you obsess about that, you proclaim that, it grips your heart. And what is a good thing becomes an ultimate thing. And that becomes an idolatry. We're guilty of placing idols before God. If you're here today and you've been declaring yourself the leader of your own life, maybe it looks like surrender. Maybe your action is to say, I wanna declare him the Lord and leader of my life. I want an encounter with the truth of the gospel. If that's you, if you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, I'm not gonna you know, make you raise your hand or come up or do anything like that. I just want in the quietness of your own heart and mind right now, whether you're with us live in the room or listening or watching later, you just pray a simple prayer, something like this. Not a rote prayer, but something that acknowledges that Jesus died for your sin, that you're a sinner. God, I'm a sinner, but he died for me. Would you come and be the Lord and leader of my life? Forgive me. If you pray that prayer, it's the first step. It's the first step in living a life of celebration. A life that comes alive with the reality that, man, the gospel is alive and well in my heart. If you prayed that prayer, I'd love the opportunity to talk to you after, talk about next steps. You can email us or you can reach out through our social media if you want. And we'd, we'd love to talk to you about next steps. Maybe for others of us that have crossed that line of salvation, maybe for you, proclaiming the gospel this week means inviting them inviting them to this place or even to another church. It's not about building Centerway. It's about furthering the gospel. Maybe it means a spiritual conversation or just sharing the legacy of your story. Like, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I know what God has done for me. And so can I just tell you some of what Jesus has done for me? Sometimes we hold off on proclaiming the gospel because we think we have to be theologically tight, but it's really just about talking about what God has done in our lives. For others of you today, maybe proclaiming the gospel looks like redeeming activity with a proclaiming priority. In other words, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to the sporting event. I'm gonna go to the field. I'm gonna go to the workplace. I'm gonna go wherever, but I'm not gonna get wrapped up in the worries and cares of this world. I'm gonna leverage those moments, those conversations. I'm gonna leverage that influence towards the truth of the gospel, not in some awkward way. I'm not telling us to to be like weirdos that people avoid. I'm talking about being the hands and feet of Jesus, seeing a need and meeting it, living on mission. Maybe, maybe part of the way you'll respond in proclaiming the gospel is, is willing to give a, a day's wage for Convoy of Hope next week when we're, we're talking about this one day to feed the world. And I wanna tell you, it's easy to, to give money to organizations sometimes, but... I've been uh, to El Salvador, 2019, I went there and I saw the women's empowerment program. I saw the feeding, I gave food to kids that all of a sudden I had the undivided attention of because they were so hungry and I was able to talk about the truth of the gospel. It changed their every day because of our willingness to give. There's so many ways to live missionally as we enter the holidays. People that are hurting and broken, they just want peace, they want joy. So I wanna challenge you as I just close this time in prayer and we respond in worship, that you just be available to whatever it is that the Lord might be laying on your heart. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we declare ourselves available. Lord, we wanna proclaim the gospel, not because it's us conjuring up the, the right thing to do, but because we live a life of celebration. We've been set free we're walking in truth. We're filled with joy. The evidence of the fruit of the Spirit is in our lives. And Lord, we just want to be a part of what you're doing. And so today we worship you. 
We worship you because of who you are, because of what you've done, and we proclaim that to our own heart and to anyone you put in our sphere of influence for your glory. Let's worship the Lord together.
okay, you can have it all. You can have it all. You gave me everything. It is no sacrifice, like, all of it. Just, I'm just not, like, my time. Just not my finances. Just don't tell me about my relationships. I mean, you can have it all except... saying that to me as much as I'm saying it to you, that we would just, that we would just allow the Holy Spirit to, to reveal our hearts, what it is we celebrate, what it is we lean into, what it is that we give our time, our talent, our treasure for at the drop of a hat. Say, hey, you can have it all, God. There are needs that are so large, like the one we're talking about. That it, that it means corporately we get behind. And there are smaller needs. Our, our, our circles actually gathered together and made um, crisis response kits for families. And um, we put together 31 of them, our circles did, and I'm um, getting ready to mail them out this week. Because it's a need a little greater than an individual could meet, but not quite as large that, that we corporately have to. But I want to challenge you, like, there are these corporate things like next week, and, and we've got more things on the horizon we're going to talk about even next week that are just exciting opportunities. And, and then there are things that, that groups of us, circles of us, need to respond to. But there are things that we as individuals can respond to. There are things that we as individuals can respond to that will be a proclamation of the truth of the gospel, that we would live with our hands open, that we would say, okay, God, you can have it all. You can really have it all. Interrupt my day. Interrupt the rhythms of my comfort. God, you really can have it all. I'm not going to preach another message, right? <laughs> I just want you, if you're comfortable, and I'm not going to look around or anything like that. But as I pray this prayer, if, if you really want God to have it all, if it's, if it's a, a desire of your heart, and maybe you're not there yet, but, but you just need to say, all right, Physically, I'm going to display what I, what I want the desire of my heart to be. That you just open up your hands and put them before you as a symbol of, of just making yourself available. God taking it all. And I'll lead us in a prayer as we just end with our hands open like this. If you're comfortable, you don't have to. I won't even look to see who's doing it. But let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you with open hands. Father, take what you want. Give what you want. Lord, when we... When we declare you can have it all, we realize that you're not just looking for our stuff. It's all yours anyway. You want our sadness. You want our brokenness. You want our pain. You can have it all, God. You can have all of the things that we try to hold on to, that we try to solve ourselves, that we try to work out. God, we give it all to you. You can have it all. Because we're nothing apart from you. We want our hearts to be broken for what breaks yours. We want to live on mission with our one and only life. We want to fight the battles that are eternal. And so God, we, we stand before you and we just ask your spirit to speak to us, that you would lead us and guide us, that you would interrupt the rhythms of our day so that we could be your hands and feet, so we could see a need and meet it, that we could live on mission in hopes that we would have opportunity to proclaim the gospel through word and deed. So protect us as we go our separate ways. And Father, I send us the church to be on mission for your glory and our joy. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you as you go. You're not gonna want to miss next week. It's one of the highlights. Whenever we're able to meet in person, we love it. It was still great online, but I can't wait for next week's service. You're not gonna want to miss it. Uh, one day to feed the world. Um, and uh, we're excited to go from there into an Advent series. So just a lot of exciting things coming up and uh, some pretty cool opportunities. You're free to, re to remain here as uh, the team will continue in song. If you want prayer for anything, I'll of course meet you. If you have a next step that you want to take, um, Eric's going to be out there in the next steps area to answer any questions you might have, whether it's water baptism or discipleship or whatever your next step might be. Um, God bless you as you go. We'll see you next week because we still get to meet in person. You believe that? Every week. It's crazy. I'm celebrating it every week. All right. See you next week. God bless you as you go.